What's up, everybody? Derek here with a Knocked and Loaded podcast. I am super excited about today's podcast. We had in Randy Birdsong from Headhunters TV on the Outdoor Channel. It was uh, an awesome podcast. We talked about how he got started in the outdoor TV industry, talked about some of his past hunting successes, especially last year. If you follow Randy on social media, you'll see that he had a phenomenal year. So uh, we covered some of that and covered some of the other things that he's got going on uh, with his TV show and other things that that uh, he's involved with. So it was a great podcast. So I'm just going to shut up and we're going to get right to Randy Birdsong. This is Derek Dernberger, and you're listening to the Knocked and Loaded Podcast. What's up, Randy Birdsong? Man, thanks for having me, brother. I'm glad you made it in. I'm glad telling you. you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I'm enjoying this right here. This is this is new for me. Uh-huh. I don't know much about the old podcast game, but... You got her going on in here, man. I got some. I got one up on you then. <laughs> you do. Yeah. That's a fact. First time. Yeah. First time. So uh, you done traveling? Just about, man. I we just uh, come off NWTF last weekend, and I don't know. Have you been to that show? It's been a couple years. Couple years, man. That is. I mean, out of all the shows of the year, NWTF and Nashville. That's that's my favorite one by far. I love that show. I love the people down there, and it's just it's just a good atmosphere, man. Yeah, I enjoy it every year. That's actually I I look forward to that show every year going down there. Uh huh. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah, that that pretty much uh I mean that pretty much wraps it up for us for the year. We did, of course, you were at ATA and Thank shot, you. and then um, we went to Harrisburg for a few days and went out there. Nate played a big show out there, and then uh, rolled into NWTF. So the last month it's just been bam, 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 bam. Took out my trapping time, man. I was I was trapping a lot there, and then we got into trade show season. I had to had to hang them up for a little while. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of trapping, I saw the the Instagram post slaughtered them in Southern Illinois. Man, it was it was good. That's one of the best trips that I've ever had trapping. And you know, a lot of people, it's crazy because I'll go to trade shows now, and you know, three or four years ago, when people come up, all they wanted to talk about was hunting. Hey, they had a hunting question. You know, what about, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Now it's funny because I'll go. Nobody wants to talk to me about hunting anymore. Everybody that comes up is, hey, man, uh, you know, when, you, when you're setting for these coyotes, uh, what do I need to do in this this certain instance, and how do I work this? And I, I get a kick out of it because, you know, trapping, a lot of people didn't know, but I grew up trapping, and that was that was one of my passions, you know, ever since I was little bitty, I loved it. And, um, you know, now that it's it's went on and I, I've, I was able to make a career out of hunting, but now it's like I get almost more enjoyment out of going back and trapping as I do hunt, I still love to hunt, no doubt about it. But trapping is, uh, I'm just, I'm consumed with it. I love it. Now, was your dad a trapper, grandpa? How'd you get started? My dad wasn't a trapper. Um, and really, my grandpa, neither one of my grandpas were either. But I had a couple older guys when I was growing up that kind of took me under their wing and, and showed me a little bit. But it's funny, back then, you know, trapping was probably a lot more popular back in those days as it is now. So it was hard finding somebody that would actually take you under their wing and show you because they'd show you a little bit, but they didn't want to give up all their secrets. Right. You know, so it was a, it was, there was a pretty big learning curve there. And, and a lot of it is just, a lot of it honestly was self-taught. I, I had a guy that showed me some water stuff and that's kind of how I started was, was doing a lot of water trapping. And then that kind of, you know, rolled into predator trapping and then now doing a lot of predator control work. So it's, a. Uh, it's been fun, man. I, I, I get a kick out of it. They're, I tell everybody, you know, and you, especially with coyotes, coyotes are, they're probably one of the most 
I think underestimated animals in the woods, and a lot of people don't realize that. But man, they are they are a smart, smart animal. And and you think about it, coyotes pretty much top of the food chain in our part of the country, right? You know, and and that sucker's out there, and he's hunting and, and living every day and surviving. And to try to get that rascal to put his foot on a two inch circle when he's got the whole farm to run around on, it's it can be challenging. But that's what makes it fun at the end of the day. Yeah, I pulled up the uh, your Instagram picture. Of all those coyotes you got in Illinois, where is it at there? Right there. How oh, many? Yeah. How many coyotes are in that? Uh, I think there was about four, right around forty. That was that was four nights worth. So you know, normally when we're running like that, we're skinning every day. But when we got to Southern Illinois, man, we they had just had a giant storm roll through, and it was still it was still coming in as we got there, and uh, temperatures was just crazy low. We had snow on the ground. And we were trying to get out so many traps and trying to do so much work in a short period of time with the weather, we could actually just stack them up. And I had a guy lined up that was going to buy them on the carcass. So it saved us a lot of time and allowed us to get more traps in the ground and, and continue trapping instead of having to stop midway through the day. And uh, and skin, we had one night, we had we caught 15 coyotes in one 15 night. 15 coyotes. Which, how, many, how many acres are you talking about? That was probably over 3,000 acres, something like that. Yeah, we were, we were trapping... Um, on that particular trip, we were with Campbell, Illinois Whitetails over around Carmi, and then also bouncing down to my buddy Jason Bosalls that yeah. a lot of people know from Whitetail Freaks, where I, him and I got started in the industry together, you know, filming each other. And, and I try to every year to go over and, and help him out, too, because he manages his ground. He's got a big chunk of ground. And we've found over the years that, you know, by doing the predator management, it's really helping. And as I'm sure you know, too, you've hunted that area, you know, a lot, and even this area, but... We've got hit with EHD for a few days, you know, a few years off and on here and there. And, and what we're finding out is, is by going in and hitting these predators after the EHD comes through, it kind of helps you and, and kind of hedges that hurt just a little bit. Because, you know, between predation and EHD, if you've got that combination, it's like a double-edged sword, man. Right. I mean, it, it just wears your fawns out and just knocks your whole herd down. So... It, it doesn't, it's not a foolproof method, but it definitely, we found that it definitely helps. Right. But the guy that I was trapping with there too, you know, talking about that picture, that's Mark Zagger out of New York. And he's one of the more well-known coyote guys in the country. He actually does a school for coyotes. And I brought him down to that trip in Illinois and I was, I was kind of laughing and joking with him, you know, to start with. Cause I said, man, I'm going to bring you down here. And we're going to film some stuff for the show, but I'm going to tell you right now. If you get to out catching me too bad, you ain't going to see all that on the television show. I'm going to make sure we edit that out. I said, I don't care if you beat me, but but don't be don't be coming in here on my turf and whipping me. Now. Uh-huh. That right. That ain't right. And it was crazy because we got done and was all said and done. We caught, I think we had seven, I think we had seven checks on that trip. And uh, when it was all, dust was settled, it was 25 to 25. Coyotes. No yeah. I, we would never do that again in, in our life. Uh-huh. But he found out on that seven days how competitive I was. He said, man, I never knew you were this competitive. <laughs> that's how I said, man, I don't like losing checkers, more or less trapping, you know what I mean? So coyotes, cold weather, it's easier to trap them just like hunting, well, moving more. So cold weather, cold weather, they move better. I'm not going to say it's easier to trap them because it's anytime you're dealing, especially like on that trip, when you're dealing with that extreme of weather conditions, it, it's, it's unbelievably tough to keep things operable. And that's, that's the whole key to it is like, they're going to move when it's, 
when is when they're under them kind of conditions, they're going to move. They got to. They got to eat. They got to survive. Yeah. But keeping things operable is crazy hard. And and it was actually a bit of a learning curve for me because you know in this part of the country we don't get that extreme weather too much. And you know we were dealing with eight nine inches of snow, and then a couple of days we had a foot of snow drifts over the top of our set. So it, I was a little bit out of my element, and I had to adjust fast. But I think you know just facing those kind of conditions like that on trips like that, it makes you just like being a hunter, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, figuring out different places in the country to hunt and different animals. It just makes you a better, well-rounded trapper at the end of the day. And, uh, I, I was happy for it. I, I struggled the first couple of days, but then I kind of got a system down that was working and started rolling with it. So mm-hmm. I learned, I mean, it was a big learning curve for me too over there. Yeah. Uh, well, how much snow can get on top of that before before so, it's just inoperable well so snow snow on top really doesn't hurt you too bad it's when it it's when you get that crust or it, you get that thaw and then it freezes back at night and you get that that thick crust on top that's what keeps things um from not working it's not really the snow as long as the, it as long as it's cold and the snow's powdery the snow actually insulates the ground and it'll keep working but it's when you get that warm up in the day and then drops off cold back at night and things melt and then freeze and then melt and freeze but uh, so I I went into it. I kind of I had every barrel packed. I had I had a uh, I, I went over with about a hundred gallons. I make up wax dirt okay. in the summertime. Actually, this year I had a buddy of mine make some for me. But I make up wax dirt, and and what I do is a lot of people don't know it. What in the world is wax wax dirt? I ain't never heard of wax dirt. <laughs> so it, it's uh you learn all kinds of stuff, man. Being a trap, it's it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. So I go out in the summertime, and I'll actually sift dry dirt, and then you put it in a cement mixer and you add flake wax and you put a a redneck fish burner underneath it and you warm that dirt up and you infuse and melt that wax into the dirt and what it does is it it makes a freeze proof dirt and waterproof dirt so when you're faced with those kind of conditions you got you got things that that's on your trap that's actually going to be able to work through them so yeah there's a lot of little things man that that i've learned over the years that you know just like you says like man those kind of conditions they got to be moving and they are but most people they're out of commission whenever they get those that kind of weather, you know, and they don't have those nights where they can really hammer them. But if you if you go into it kind of a little, at least a little bit prepared, you'll hammer them. Right. So coyotes are scent based trapping. They are. Yeah, they're they're a little bit visual, but mainly mainly scent. They they hunt off their nose a lot. Where cats are kind of you know they're they're really visual oriented. You know, with a little bit of little they hunt off their nose too, but they're they're really visual. So are you setting up? a trap that that is going to you know catch both of them or is it specifically a coyote trap mostly mostly my sets will catch both um and i i try to set them that way which in illinois we were mainly targeting you know coyotes because illinois don't have a completely open bobcat season yet whereas in missouri if i'm trapping missouri i'm definitely trying to target both because i want to catch cats and coyotes they're they're both they're both bad in their own way as far as from a predation standpoint um, so I, I like to set a set that'll catch both. And I mainly run like dirt holes and flat sets, just different variations of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got you. So you had a great year trapping, but you also had a great year hunting. I did, man. It was honestly probably one of my best years ever. Yeah. I, I mean, it just, it, it's crazy. And you've been at it, you've been at it, you know, as long as I have, and you know all about it too, but it's weird, man. Like you get on those years and it's like, you can't get anything to go right. Nothing ever goes right. And, and those years, I mean, unfortunately I've had a lot of them, you know, I mean, it just happens. But then every once in a while you get those years, it's like, you can't do anything wrong. And that was, 
that was this year, and it was weird because it wasn't the entire season. That that's what's crazy about. It. It's like I hunted from the end of August um, through practically you know off and on through January, and there was only about a two week window there where it was a real heater. But man, when I got on that heater, son, it was like <laughs> holy cow! What in the world is going on here? Nate was, I mean, he wouldn't even talk to me hardly. Every other day I was sending the picture, like, I don't even want to see no more anymore. Just quit sending them. But it, it was crazy, man. I, I started off and uh, I went to Montana with a good buddy of mine, Joel Weaver, and uh, went on an elk hunt out there at a place that we had hunted the prior year and shot a great bull the first morning of the hunt, which with elk, anybody that's ever followed me on the show or social media or anything, elk has always been, that's been like my... The black sheep, man. I, I just, I, I don't do well. I love to hunt them. Yep. Love to hunt them. I mean, it's my favorite thing in the world to hunt, but I've just had some bad, caught some bad breaks and, you know, missed some opportunities on some giant bulls. But like I said, went out there this year, shot that bull on the first morning of the hunt. Um, I had a Montana deer tag in my pocket that I'd struck out on earlier in the year with a bow. So it's a general tag. So it was rifle season then. So I bounced over the place that I had hunted earlier was only about 45 minutes. So we got done elk hunting. I rolled over, got in a blind, shot a buck the very first set, you know, very first night, boom, shot a deer, come back home. I was, I was, I was scheduled to fly in like three days later. Cause I'd kind of give myself a little bit of a window there to give my, you know, a few days to hunt. And I looked at the weather and I, I told, uh, I told Jason Heathcote, the guy that had with me filming, I said, man, I got to change my flight. I said, there is a giant cold front coming in Missouri <laughs> last week of October, you know, and, and on our place where we hunt in Southern Missouri there, that last week of, of October, I don't know, for whatever reason, man, it always seems like it's the, that's the right week. You know, that that's just the perfect week. And I seen that cold front coming in and it cost me an arm and a leg to switch my flights. Like, I don't care, man, I'm getting home. I got to get in the tree, got home and I think it was the first, it was either the first or second evening back. I shot one of my best deer I've ever shot with a bow. Um, so I, it was like the 20, I think around the 28th, somewhere in there, give or take. And then, uh, got on a plane, went to Alberta and shot the best deer I ever shot on the very first morning, uh, like 186 inch mule deer. Yeah. So I was like, gosh, dang, I, I may as well not even hunt next year. <laughs> right. I'm going to line up everything for Hosey, get all of his tags and I'm just going to take the year <laughs> off. Cause I know, I already know going in, I ain't going to kill nothing. Right. I mean, it's going to be one of them years next year, but it was, Hey, you got to take them when they come. That's right. Well, that elk is unreal. Right, right there. Yeah. That's the one that's so I shot that one. That's the one I shot in New Mexico um in September. And that was a cool hunt too. That was really um that got my season started off because like I said, I started at the end of August. I hunted mule deer, I struck out there, went to Montana for uh, archery whitetail, struck out there, just having a tough time. I was like, Man, this is gonna be one of those years again. And uh Hosey had a little baby boy like the second of September, so the first part of September he was kind of out. He uh he didn't hunt too much, but that was his first trip too was to New Mexico and man, it was a, it, that was a crazy deal in itself because we've hunted that ranch for a few years and we've, we've both hunted that water hole and it's, it's kind of one of the more well-known spots on that place. And we got there, there's a lot of different bulls in that area. And I chased that bull that morning, um, and couldn't do nothing with him. He had cows with him and I bedded him down and, and John Skidmore was filming me. He's like, man, we got to go. He's like, that, that bull's bugling his bed right there. Let's go. And I was like, man, it's the first day. Let's just ease off of him. You know, let's play it safe. And, uh, so we went back to camp and we, when we were walking back, 
I realized, I was looking at my GPS, and I realized from where that bull was bedded, there was a water hole below him like 400 yards. And it was getting, it was getting really hot during the day. And I was like, man, if that, if that bull beds right there and he doesn't get up for some reason in the middle of the day, I said, there is a dang good chance that bull's going to come to that water hole this evening. And so we, we got in early and, and we walked, we had to walk a, a long ways to get to like a mile and a half. Um, we kind of went out of the way just to make sure we didn't bump him. We got in there that evening. As soon as we sat down, we heard him bugle up there, and I said, well, he's still right there, man, mm-hmm. and it wasn't no time. He started bugling, and he came to the water hole, and ended up shooting him, and two days later, Hosey flies into camp, and we know there's our, there's still a couple good bulls using that area, and I said, man, I, you know, wherever you want to go, but I would not be scared to go back to that same water hole. That joker goes in there to the same water hole, and he shoots that 350-inch bull the first night. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, man. So what did your score? Mine was 362. 362. Yep. And I think Hosey's was 351 or something like that. It's unreal. The two best bulls that we've ever killed in the whole same, our whole career, yeah. Same water hole. So, same water hole two days apart. Yeah. Huh. Unreal. I love I love elk hunting. I've only been one time. You went you went to Colorado. I this went year, to Colorado. Right? Yeah, how did yeah. that go? Um, I missed. It was it was super hot. It was. Now, did you go with bow or gun? I went bow hunting. Bow. Okay, yeah. so in September. I went bow hunting. Yeah, it was uh, super hot. Eighty five degrees the entire week we were there, and right. uh, I saw elk one day. Yeah, it, and it was a cat. You know, it was I think six or eight cows. Right. I missed a cow at seventy yards. Just. Even a cow, man, I was rattled. rattled. Oh, yeah, man. They tear me up. I'm telling you, I tell everybody, like, like deer, I'll get excited with a Uh deer. You know, and I still, I still to this day, I've shot a lot of deer, but I still get buck fever. Yep. But it is nothing compared to an elk, man. Like, (laughs) I I just, I think I I shot that bull right there and I told Skid, I said, man, I think I just blacked out. (laughs) I ain't kidding you. (laughs) I guarantee you. Yeah. No, just a cow, man. And I was. First time I've ever had elk in front of me. First right. time elk hunting. It's like I was 15 years old. Oh yeah, hunting my first whitetail yep. bow hunt. Now you, what part of Colorado did you go to? Uh, northwest, up around okay. Steamboat Springs. Yeah, yeah, we've hunted that area a little bit. Yep. There's no, I mean, there's nothing like 350s what you killed there, but there's a bunch, bunch of elk. Bunch of elk. Yeah. yeah, a lot more, a lot more elk. Yeah, for sure. Hundreds yeah. and hundreds. And that's the different. That's the difference. And it seems like different places you go for elk. And a lot of people, I don't think, you know, they don't realize that if they've never been. But just like you said, like that area up there, that's a great spot, especially for somebody that's getting into elk hunting or wanting to go for the first time. Because it can be challenging, like, you know, certain parts of New Mexico, like that place that uh, there where we hunt even. I mean, you may go several days and not ever even see an elk. Right. You know, (laughs) the numbers are a lot less. you got a good chance of shooting a big one. but. There's something to be said too for being in a target-rich environment, just like up there in Colorado. Right. I mean, it, it's at the end of the day, it's fun to see animals, and it, you know, fun to think that you're you're right in them all the time. Uh huh. Yeah. When we were out there, I mean, we saw hundreds of elk every single day. Right. But they were up with 85 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's private ground where we were hunting. Okay. And uh, you know, it was just higher the higher elevations. You could glass up there, and you'd see 200 elk. Right. In a meadow on a higher elevation, and mm-hmm. they just never come down. Right. Yeah, and that's that's part of like you said it's really hot when you're yeah. there too. So weather, you know, weather plays a huge role in that. And but yeah, it's uh it's fun to chase them, man. I gosh, I love elk hunting. I can't wait till this year. I'm starting to line up some stuff, and I don't know where I'm gonna go, but I guarantee I'll be chasing <laughs> it somewhere. So you travel a lot hunting. I mean, yep. I'm pretty much just Missouri, Illinois. I, I pretty much stay home except right. for my western trip, but 
you're everywhere. Yeah, man, we we bounce around all over the place. Um, I don't know. I I love different. I love being at different parts of the country at different times of the year. You know, I, I've always early season whitetails have always been on my brain. I uh-huh. you know ever since kind of I got into the industry and had the opportunity to start going out there. I don't know. I just I love that type of hunting because for me, man, like I love being able to get a long ways away from them early season and kind of observe them and make my own game plan and then go in there and try to, you know, try to stick one. I, it, it, it's, it's like you're battling your, for me, you're battling self-control because out there, out West for anybody that's, that's never been out there. Um, it's a different kind of hunting than it is around here. You know, you, you you're going to see a lot of deer and those deer are coming to those fields just about every day. You know, a lot of them are on irrigated alfalfa fields on river bottoms and it's not a matter of seeing them. It's a matter of having enough self-control to wait until things are perfect to go in there. Because most of the time, in my experience, if I have the self-control to wait, and I think i got a solid game plan, I've got a very high chance of getting a shot at that deer on the first couple hunts I go in there. But if I get, if I get anxious and try to push the envelope... And I get in there, a lot of times what happens is you'll bump that deer. Well, then the next night he comes out a half a mile down the field. Well, then you're out of the game and, you know, you got to start back from scratch at that point. So just that little cat and mouse and and self-control game, I I love hunting out there, man. I I always have. And then, you know, of course, you know, just like you said, hunting around home too, there's something to be said for that too because I know you as well as I, I mean, we grew up right here hunting this area. And there's something to be said to that too because I, I love, I can be anywhere in the country. And when about mid-October comes, even late October, I start getting excited because I know that, you know, Missouri rifle season's coming open. And, um, I, you know, I, that's something that I grew up doing, man. And, mm-hmm. you know, going to deer camp with your grandpa and your dad and just, you know, all your buddies, it don't matter how big a deer you're shooting. Right. It, it, it's all about the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we go, my grandpa, I guarantee you, I, I could fill up a trailer truck load of spikes that I've seen him shoot in Missouri. And I guarantee everyone that he walks up on, he's just as proud as if it was a 150 that I shot in Illinois or, you know, Montana, wherever it might be. Uh-huh. And, and you know, and that, I think there's something to be said to that, man, because and you know as well as I that the industry has kind of got away from that to a certain extent. It has gotten away from it. And it's sad, man, because that that in itself, you know, the deer camp feel and and the family and the friends and everything that goes into that experience, that's what you and I grew up loving. Right. That's what got us hooked the way that we are. Uh-huh. You know, I, I can remember going to deer camp. Um, my grandpa tells the story still to this day. You know, I was four or five years old, and they went, they used to hunt over by Willow Springs a lot, you know, and kind of over west of us. And they got to deer camp, and they set up camp, and my grandpa was going through the, the camper trailer, and he found my little pop gun and, and my, my vest <laughs> yeah. that I'd, I'd went in there and packed, you know, just hoping that I was going to make the trip, uh-huh. not knowing that I was going to get left behind. <laughs> so my grandpa walked right out the camper, went to my dad, and he said, drive back home and pick that boy up. He's coming to deer camp. Uh-huh. And they come and, they come and got me. And I went, and I thought that was the coolest thing that I've ever been a part of. Yep. And, and just those experiences like that is what it, it's what hooks you yep. for life. You know, I mean, I... I'm more tore up and and about hunting than anything in the world, you know. And I just I love it. I love and, it too. And you and you, you're supposed to love it if you're going to be involved in it and if you're going to get out there and hunt and shoot animals and 
you know, do everything that goes into it, you need to love it. Right. You talk about not caring if it's a spike or whatever. I remember the, this is when I first started bow hunting. Well, I've been bow hunting a while, but I first started getting successful, killing some deer. And uh, bow hunting Illinois. And I remember I had three bucks coming in. And I had a little fork horn, a, a wide six-pointer. He was probably a two-year-old six-pointer. Right. I passed his ears. And then I had a giant 10-point. And the 10-point just hung out there at 80 yards. And I'm watching him. And then I look down, and that's when I see the six-pointer, you know, the two-year-old six-pointer, as wide as his ears. And I thought, oh, that's a pretty good one there, too. I didn't even care. I shot the six-pointer right, right beside me because right. it didn't matter. <laughs> I was like, I love it. I just wanted yep. to kill. He gave me the opportunity. Yeah. Who cares about that 10 point? It didn't matter. That's right. You know, and, and I've, I've learned a lot too. And, and, and I honestly, I've changed as a hunter a little bit. I, and I'll be the first one to admit, you know, I got into a, I got into a kind of a situation whenever I was about 16 years old, whenever I thought I had to be a trophy hunter. And, you know, I went about, I went about eight or 10 years there where I got consumed with it. You know, I thought I had to shoot the biggest deer that was on the place, you know, and, and I wasn't satisfied unless I killed that deer. And, you know, no doubt about it, I shot some great deer over that stretch. But I can tell you one thing, I didn't have any more fun shooting those deer than the kind of deer that I shoot now. Right. And I, and I still shoot a big one if he comes by. But, um, you know, and I, and I got to credit Nate Hosey a little bit for that. Because, you know, Hosey is a Pennsylvania boy. And him and I got hooked up eight or ten years ago, whenever, right before we started Headhunters. And, uh, you know, he come from PA. They don't have a lot of big deer up there. They got a ton of hunters. They got a lot of deer. Um but he had never had a chance to shoot a lot of big deer. And whenever we started the show and, and started going to some of these different places, I'll never forget. We went to South Dakota one year and uh, we got there and we scouted the place and we knew we set up a couple blinds and we knew that there was about 150 inch deer that was coming by this blind almost every day. And he, and I knew he hadn't shot a big deer. And said, Go in there, Hosey, you know, shoot that deer. And uh, he, he goes in there and the first night he, come, he, he comes back to camp. He said, man, I, I shot a good one. I was like, no kid, man, you got that, you got that big one. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, no, it wasn't that one. I went out there to the back of the truck and he'd shot about a, I don't know, 125 inch eight pointer. And I was just kind of down the mouth. I was like, man, you know, dang, man, I, I, like we put you, I put you in there, you know, I wanted you to shoot that big one. You would have killed that big one. He's like, yeah, man, but I love that one when he come by. Yeah. And it took me a little while, you know, I, it took me a couple of years kind of, kind of see that and. And like I said, man, I, I'll give him credit. He he, honestly, he's kind of rubbed off on me a little bit because I'm starting to learn. And, and maybe it comes with age a little bit, too. But I'm starting to figure out and prioritize a little bit different these days than I did eight or ten years right. ago. And yeah. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool to see that come back full circle. Because like I said, man, that's I didn't grow up like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I grew up shooting anything that come by. Right. And just like the rest of my family. You know, it's just uh -huh. like the rest of the rednecks, most of the rednecks in Missouri. And there ain't nothing wrong with that, man. If you like it, shoot it. Right. You know, that's, you know what, that's exactly how, it, you talk about that full circle. It started back in the day, hunting with a rifle and killing the first, killing the first buck that came by. Because when I started hunting, you had to draw a doe tag. Yep. The only thing you could kill was buck. So kill a buck. If it had antlers, you kill it. That's right. And then... You do that for several years, and then I started getting into bow hunting, and it was still the same thing. I had the mentality, i got to kill a buck. Right. And I would pass doe after doe and kill a little four-pointer, a six-pointer, whatever. It didn't matter, but I was whacking them and stacking them. And that's the phase I went through. Then I started graduating into 
well, I need to kill bigger deer. Yep. And then it got to where I only bow hunt. Right. And that's it. And I, it's almost like, you know, you'll look down on gun hunters when yep. that's when you got your start. Right. I and would then, do the same thing yeah, as man. Right. And now I've come full circle where, you know what? I want to kill big deer, sure, but right. I'm going to kill the deer that's, it, you know, it has a good story or it feels like a good hunt or whatever yeah, it is. It's like, I'll kill that big one if he's the first one that comes <laughs> by. But if there's <laughs> yeah. one that comes by before right. him that I like, he's uh-huh. going to shoot him too. Right, right. Yeah. And that happened to me this year. It happened, I killed a, I killed a two-year-old eight-pointer that was, I don't know, 17 inches wide. But mm-hmm. it was a cool hunt, hunting myself, videoing myself, hunting this lease that I had that it's really hard to access the back part. Right. And so it was gun season. I think it was the first month. I can't remember. A few days into gun season. But I, I decided I'm going to just stalk into this place because i got to cut through a wide open bean field in order to get back there. You go in before daylight, you blow, blow everything, everything out. out yeah. So I waited for it to get light, and then I just still hunted my way in. Just and, eased in there. Right. And my thought was i got to get to this back bean field. There's a little ditch kind of that runs, a low point that runs through the middle of it. Just a little swag, not right. a ditch. But a little depression, I thought, you know, those deer are going to travel from this big block of woods about a half mile away to this giant bean field and work into my lease, the woods. So I get back there, and I I get, I said, I'm going to get to this little fence row, come out of this little ditch, and then I'm going to glass up there because that's where they're going to be. And everything was perfect. It worked out. I got through the ditch. I looked up, and there's a buck coming through that ditch. He's about 400 yards at the time working his way to me. And I was like, oh, my God, it's happening. It's exactly how I said it was going to yeah. happen. I've never even been back here. I just looking about at, this day. Yeah, satellite images. I'm just picturing everything, yeah. how it's going to work. And it's working. Lay down in the weeds, pop my tripod up, get the camera going. I keep looking up. And uh, he's at 300 yards, and he's closing and closing. I thought I had a good wide eight-pointer that was, uh, you know, upper 130s right. on camera, on trail cameras. thought it was him. But every, by the time I got everything set up, I've never shot a deer laying prone either on the ground with my bipod. And, you go you know. plumb sniper mode. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, man. I think, oh, my gosh, I'm sniper here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I had in my head because I just got back from uh, Gravic Ranch, which is, a, which is a, a ranch we go to down in Texas, and they, we do long-range okay. shooting. So we're gotcha. shooting out to 1,300 yards down there. Yeah. That's what I felt like. I was like, oh, my sniper <laughs> training is going to work today. Yeah. And I uh, get everything set up. I get down on my gun. Everything's finally going, and I get him in the get him in the scope. And I was like, "Oh, it's not that big one I thought it was." Like, I don't care. Yeah. I'm killing him. And I ended up shooting him at 150 yards. What was weird is he saw me moving in the grass, laying down. And he just started walking right at me. He couldn't tell I, what he you couldn't were. tell what I was, mm-hmm. and he had to come check it out. And that was his fatal mistake. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But he was a two year old. You know, and I texted some pictures, but, you know, people start hammering you yeah. right away. Watch you shoot that two-year-old, mm-hmm. this or that. And I was like, it's a good experience. Because I liked it. Uh, yeah, I, liked I wanted it. to. Yeah, right. it was a cool hunt, and yep. I finished it right. But I hear you, man. But, that's, yeah, coming full circle, like you say, man, It's uh, and that's where I'm at now. And the other thing is, I put so much pressure on whitetail hunting on myself the last well, since I started my show, right, I'm in season five right now, and I put so much pressure on 
just white to hunt. You got to get it done. You got to get it done. When I was a kid, man, we hunted everything back yep. in high school. Exactly. Anything that was in season, I hunted. And I'm, I'm kind of evolving back into that. I'm not going to put so much pressure on whitetail. I'm going to rabbit hunt. I went rabbit hunting this uh, last month, and it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, such man. a good time. Yeah, that's the same way with me, like with the trapping and different stuff like that. I mean, I got out of that. I got so heavy into deer hunting there for a few years that I didn't have time to do anything else. You know, I, did, I wasn't trapping. I wasn't duck hunting much. And, uh, you know, now it's like I'm going to make time to do other stuff, too, because – I love deer hunting, man, as much as anybody. I mean, I love whitetail yeah, hunting. Yeah, it's my favorite thing. If I yep. if I only had to hunt one thing, I had to make a choice, it'd still be whitetail. I love I love whitetail hunting, but I'll be the first to tell you, too, and just like you know, whitetails, man, they'll make you feel like either a hero or a zero. Right. And you might, go, you might go on a stretch like I had this year, and then next year, we'll, I'll go back to the same stretch that I normally, about 50 or 60 days, and not shoot anything. <laughs> You know, and you just—they just beat you up, man. Uh-huh. I love—I still love to chase them, but like I said, it's fun to do other stuff too. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So turkey season's right around the corner. It and is. You're gonna travel for that. We are. We're actually—we uh, just got a, a hunt set up in Florida last week, and uh, shoot, man, we're flying out on the fourth of March. Are you really? So just like a week and a half. That's the earliest I've ever hunted them, I think, down there. And that's the—I—I I like. Uh, Osceola having my grand slam. So Hosey finished his, I think, last year. And so we set that deal up. And I want to go down there and try to shoot one of them early southern birds. Yep. Are you going to try to get the grand slam this year? I probably won't this year. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'll do Merriam's or not this year. Um, just now, kind of laying out our schedule and kind of seeing where everything's going to fit in. But I definitely want to finish it up overall. Um, like I said, I've never shot one down there. So I'm looking forward to that. But. We love hunting turkeys, man. Uh-huh. Hosey especially. That sucker right there, man. He quit eating for a week if he thought he'd shoot another turkey. <laughs> yeah. I ain't never seen nobody like, like it in my life, man. Uh-huh. If, 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 if turkey season from the south to the north is 90 days, that joker right there is going to hunt about 89 of them. Yeah. No. He, he gets after it now. We know Tom Rainey. You know Tom Oh, Rainey. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a nut like that. Mm-hmm. He's coming in to hunt with me and... I don't know, I think the first weekend of season okay. this year. That sucker there is ate up with it, too. He is. I hunted with him in, in Illinois a couple of years ago, and I got a kick out of him, man. He's a he's a hoot to hunt. He's just a hoot in general. Uh-huh. That guy, I love him to death, man. Well, him and Hosey need to they team do. up and go somewhere. We've been talking about it for a while. Yeah, they they love that. Uh-huh. Yeah, now I, I just kind of really started hammering getting really into turkey hunting in the right. last well five years when i started my right. show where i grew up there were no turkeys mm-hmm. whatsoever and it's only you know i live 20 miles from from here down right. in scott county but yeah we never had turkeys so i never really hunted them it's it's fun man i i like it it's uh you know it's it's a springtime. i don't hunt them in the fall i i just spring hunt but it, it's a time of year where there really isn't a lot going on you know you can't you mm-hmm. can't deer hunt you can't do any of your fall stuff so I don't know. I like to get out there, and I, I like the. I just like turkey hunting because it's it's fun and it's and there's so much interaction in it. Uh-huh. You know, it's like deer hunting. You sit out there by yourself all day. You can't make a you can't make a move. You can't make a noise. Yeah. You know, and there's really it's like well, you're just waiting on one to walk by. And uh, turkeys, you know, you can interact so much between calling and the way they act. And I don't know, man. It's just it's fun. I like it. I like uh-huh. hunting them suckers. Do you? cut much for the show turkey hunting to make an episode we, out we of it. do we because we air mainly third and fourth quarter that's when all of our our new episodes so we're kind of out of the turkey turkey hunting scene uh by then but we do do one one turkey show and normally what we do is we just kind of 
you know, we'll hunt all over the country and then we'll just pick, kind of cherry pick our best hunts mm-hmm. and put them together for one episode, then use the rest like on social media or something right. like that. But yeah, we, we definitely do a turkey episode. Hosey, Hosey would leave the show if we didn't do a turkey episode. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. So uh, you've been in the TV business for quite a while, right? I have, yeah. Um, as far as like overall, you know, I kind of started not, not too long after high school. I I started uh, with Don and Candy Kiske, and then that kind of progressed. Uh, that was back before they even had a television show, which a lot of people don't know. But, you know, they, they started, well, they started with Drury's, and then after that, they kind of, they did their own DVD, or well, VHS series, I uh-huh. guess, back in, in those days. Uh, Whitetail's taking it to the extreme. And I actually got hooked up with them and started the last year that they did Whitetail's taking it to the extreme, which was, whew, Man, that's 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 back in the day. I mean, that's probably two thousand and four, maybe something uh-huh. like that. I'm thinking, and then from there they started. They they had the idea of Whitetail Freaks. And the first year they did Whitetail Freaks, it was just a DVD, and then that transpired into the television show. And I, uh, Jason Bosol, my buddy Jason over in Southern Illinois, we we did uh, Whitetail Freaks, the television show, for about three or four years, I think. And then at that time, I was getting out of school at SIU, and I was at a point in my life where it's like, well, do I go for it or do I just hang it up and, and take a desk job? And I'm like, eh, I don't like the sounds of that desk job. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm cut out for the desk job. Uh-huh. So I rolled the dice and uh, here we are. So yeah, it's been a it's been a ride, man. I guess I guess overall about 14 years I've had invested in it. This is our eighth season of our own show, but yeah, I had some uh, I had I had some work in the industry before then, so. Yeah. It's a it's quite the journey, man. It's, right. It's been it's been quite the roller coaster, that's yeah. for sure. Well, as far as everybody's concerned, you know, it, you just get paid to hunt. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, you just you just you get paid to hunt. You're making a living hunting. It's like, <laughs> man, hunting is like this much of of everyday business of the hunting industry. That's that's the funny thing. It's uh you, you, and I'm sure you get it all the time too, but you get all these guys they come up, man, how do we do what you do or, or how do we get to hunt for a living? And it's like, well, there's a, you got you got, how, how long you got here? <laughs> Cause uh-huh. I, I got a lot, I got a lot to talk about here, but, uh, no, it's, it's a funny industry, man, because, uh, like I said, a lot of people looking at it from the outside, they do, they do have the perception that, that we're just hunters, but there's so much more to it from a business standpoint, you know, and, and I actually went to school and I, my goal was to have a television show at some point, but I knew that I wanted to have some kind of foundation on the business side. So I actually got my degree from SIU in finance, which a lot of people don't know, which is kind of weird. So I like, man, you hunt for a living. You got a right. degree in finance, <laughs> but, um, I wanted to have some kind of, some kind of background in business. And, and I'm glad that I did, man, because I'm just like we were talking about a while ago there, there is so much that goes on on that side. I mean, honestly, the business side of the television show is probably 70 to 80 percent of it uh-huh. and the hunting is the hunting is 20 to 30 percent of it you know if if i'm not people's like what are you doing in the off season i'm like man there is no off season it's like there's <laughs> no. hunting season and then there's office season right and uh there's you know just keeping up with partners and and negotiating deals for the next year and, and seeing and making sure deliverables are are carried out and you know now with with social media growing the way it is it's like you got to make sure everything's lined up on the television side, but then there's also the whole another side of the business, which is social media now. And I know I'm sure your partners are the same way, but 
everybody is wanting more content, more content, more content. We actually just hired two interns last week um, that's going to come on to the team. And because we just we had to have some more support, man, because we couldn't punch out enough stuff. And, you know, we've been doing it for eight seasons. So we're setting on all those archives of seasons of, of material, but we didn't have the manpower to cut it, right. you know, so we had to, we brought in some more help and um, we've got a ton of content that we want to try to get out there and, and help build our social and also, you know, help our partners out. But there's just, man, there's just a lot of different elements that goes into it. And, you know, even trade shows, you know, we just got off a of kind of trade show season here and I know you hit a ton of them too, but a lot goes into that and, and just going in. And man, has that changed in the oh, last five years? Uh-huh. Holy cow. I mean, you walk in there now and it's, it's uh it's corporate America. Yeah, which it is, really is. It, it's kind of it's honestly it's sad to me because I know when I got in industry and I, I'm sure you're the same way, but it was kind of a mom and pops industry, mm-hmm. and it, and it's over the last few years it's kind of taken a shift toward the you know towards the corporate America side, and it's sad, man, because that's not I don't know like that that's not me, um, right. And it doesn't feel like hunting either. It, it doesn't. And, and, and honestly, like, and I, and I don't want to get too much into the politics of the hunting industry, but in my, in my opinion, I think that it's hurt it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think a lot of other people are seeing that now because the fact of the matter is, is 10 years ago, just like I said, it was built off the mom and pops and it was built off the people that truly had a passion for what they were doing. Whether it come from product development or whether it come from dealing with the consumer, they had a passion and a drive, and they had that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, and now with the corporate America and the private equity and everything that's got into this industry, when that happens, to me, there's a huge disconnect between the manufacturer and the consumer. Yeah. And when you get that, things go downhill. And I think that a lot of these companies are starting to see that now. And it, it, it's sad, man, because it's it's an industry that I love. I know you love it. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I just want to see it. I want to see it turn back around and get to where it was, because mm-hmm. um, that's the industry that I got in that I loved. Right, right. And we, you know, when we go to those trade shows, we're not just going. Well, Nate's probably just going there to party. That's and, right. And <laughs> play yeah. music and do his thing. But you and I go there, and it, most everybody else, we're conducting business. It's not just a party. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, because thing about it is, is uh, you know. Um, the industry and, and even what we do on the television side, it's built off relationships, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not who has the best television show out there or, you know, who has the biggest social media following. It's who's got the best relationships. Right. And we've always we've always really took pride in that, man, because relationships do matter to us. I mean, if we're partners with somebody, we don't want to just have a business relationship. Right. I mean, we want to we, we got some of my best friends in life are my business partners mm-hmm. and I love it yep. because I mean, that's, that's the way it ought to be. You know, you either, you still got to draw the line between friendship and business, but there's no reason why you can't have both. Right. You know, and, and we've always, like I said, we've always prided ourselves in, in trying to make those relationships and man, just, you know, trade shows. That's, that's what we utilize them for because honestly, it's like a big family reunion uh-huh. and, and we do business there, but we also get around and make sure that we see everybody that, you know, that we do have partnerships with and friendships with and shoot, man, just hang out, catch up and, uh-huh. and talk about the season, talk about what's in the future. And, um, I, I love it, man. I love it. I, I love being around people, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know. I have, I have fun at the trade shows. It, it's work at the end of the day, but, uh, 
And shoot, Hosey, he's the best PR man there is in the industry. Uh-huh. I'm a joker. He'll talk to anybody. He cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, you talk about getting started in the industry. Man, I remember when I started five years ago. It was 2011, so that's seven years ago now. 2011, I went to my first ATA show. Right. And didn't know a soul in the industry. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely no one. Yeah. My brother and I went. Let's go check this out to the ATA show. And uh, had an idea that I'm going to start this thing. So I just started cold calling, yep. you know, every... Anybody that you could. Anybody that would listen to me. And I remember Tom Rainey, or, so before I tell you this story, do you watch Seinfeld or have you watched Seinfeld? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You remember when Kramer got the coffee spilled on him yeah. and he's in there negotiating with the lawyers? <laughs> so Tom, now back to the ATA, I go see Tom in Browning Trail Cameras and... Uh, Tell him what I'm doing, and you he's, know he's a tough bargain too. Yeah, yeah. Do you know Brent? His uh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, so you know Brent? Yeah, Brent mm-hmm. Feathers. So Brent is uh, he's a pretty intimidating guy for most right. people, right? <laughs> so I walked into Brent, and I, I met somebody down there that uh, knew Brent, and I go talk to Brent. He introduced me. Carl Drake introduced me to Brent. Yep. And I said, "Yeah, I got starting this TV show." Brent just looked at me, turned around, and walked away. <laughs> Ooh, nice that didn't to meet go you well. Too. That didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. So Carl said, "Well, let me introduce you to Tom." And so here comes Tom. Is like, Tom, I want to do this TV show, and you know this or that, and you know, I'm looking for partners. He said, "I'll give you two cameras." I give you I two said, cameras. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm Kramer. Here's I'm selling. Yeah. I'll take it. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I got my start. And you hear no. I mean, oh, yeah. for me in the beginning, you hear no. You know. 19 out of 20 times mm-hmm. and finally somebody takes a chance on you and yeah and i think it goes back to man to to being able to to carry yourself and to show people that you actually have the drive and the enthusiasm to do it and to do it for the right reasons uh-huh. that's the thing because i mean man we've both been around this industry long enough i mean there there's just there's no room for ego man there, right. there's no and there's no sense in it mm-hmm. i mean you, you think about what we do every day for a living we get to hunt I and mean, we're in the hunting industry. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do you think that care should carry ego with it? I, yeah. I had a guy. I had a guy that last weekend, and uh, I'm not trying to brag on myself by any means, but I thought it was pretty dang cool. I had a guy who was at NWTF, and a guy come by the booth, and he said, "Man, I just want to say thanks for being the way that you are." And I was like, "Thanks, man. Like, what? What do you mean?" <laughs> he's like, "I just walk around here, man." He's like, "He's like, you're just a, you just act like you're an everyday dude." And I said, well, I act like an, I'm an everyday dude because I'm an everyday dude. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's yeah. what I am. Right. <laughs> I'm I mean, Southeast Missouri. Yeah, I'm a Southeast Missouri redneck, you <laughs> yeah. know. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be anybody else than I am, but I thought that was cool because, you know, that's when we got into the industry and, and started our own show, you know, and Hosey will be the first to tell you, said, you know, we don't we don't ever want to be known or, or, you know, people think that we're trying to be the best hunters. Yeah. We just want people to know that we love it. Right, because we truly do love it. You know, I mean, that's uh-huh. that's what we grew up doing, and the same redneck that I was 15 years ago, growing up hunting in Southeast Missouri, I'm still that same redneck today. Uh-huh. I just got a television show. Right, I'm no different. I can yeah. promise you, I, I'm the same. I'm the same guy, and uh, but I, I think that's the way everybody ought to be in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, shoot, man. I mean, we're not. We're not doing anything that's rocket science. No. We're, just, we're getting a hunt. You're, yeah, we're running the business that happens to be hunting. That's right. And happens to be on TV. That's exactly right. It's just right. a business. Yep. We're all trying to make a living. And 
That's exactly right, and, man. And do our thing. But, yeah, I don't know. When I was getting into the industry, so you've been in the industry a lot longer than I have. When I was getting in, that's when it was, you know, there was 300 TV shows at the ATA show. Right. I mean, everybody was going then. They've cracked down on They They have, man, yeah, because they're just, everybody wanted to come to ATA and SHOT Show and try to sell their show. Yeah. And all the manufacturers were there to sell business. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're there to sell products and to write orders to dealers. And I think that, you know, people people kind of had the, the a little bit of a misconception of what it was for, which I'm guilty of it, just like probably everybody else. Right. I mean, because y- y- you want to take advantage of it because that's like the only time of the year that you can get everybody in the same building and you can actually get around and see the people that you want to see from a, a particular company. Uh-huh. But they were just getting drilled so much that I think that they, you know, they finally complained enough that I think they've cracked down on it now. Yeah. But it's it's funny talking about ATA show, you know, me and Hosey laugh about it all the time because people's like, man, you know, they, they want to know like how you got into the industry and, and how, you know, how it was back in the early years. And man, the first ATA show that, that Hosey and I, I mean, we had, we used to have to sneak into them things. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, you're talking about watching the door for the old badge cop. And when he turned his back, you just scoot in the door. Yeah. Like, you know uh-huh. what I mean? Because uh, you ain't supposed to be there, you know. <laughs> and when you first getting started, you, you don't have no connections. And just like you said a while ago, you made a good point. You said the first ATA show that I went in, I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. I can promise you, when I the first ATA show that I ever walked in the doors of, I carried two VHS tapes in there that I had dubbed off some just random footage that I had I had videoed. And that's the only thing I had. I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know, mm-hmm. barely knew how to run a camera. Right. But I knew I wanted to be in that industry, and I was going to get in that room no matter what it uh-huh. took. Right. And uh, so I, I brought two VHS tapes in there, and, and uh, you know, I'd watched Don and Candy. I'd watched Jay Gregory. I'd watched the Drury's. And that was probably who I had watched the most. Um, you know, obviously watched Monster Bucks growing up, but I didn't, I didn't think that there would be much of a chance to get in with that crew right off the bat. So... I, I carried those two VHS tapes in there, and the first two, I ran into Don and Candy. I handed them a VHS tape, told them who I was, you know, what I wanted to do, and just uh, look probably, there ain't no telling what I looked like, because I was probably red in the face, because I was so starstruck to get to meet right. the people that I'd been watching for, <laughs> for so long, and I, I, I think I gave a VHS tape to either Mark Drury or, or Jay Gregory, I can't remember which one, but about two weeks later, Candy called me, and she's like, you really want to do this? And I'm like, heck yes, I want to do this. She's like, well, I'll tell you what, you film this year, we'll send you a list of, you know, products that we're using, you know, what we're shooting, yada, yada, yada. And if you guys get some stuff, you know, we'll take a look at using it, you know. And just so happened that summer I met Jason Bosaw in Southern Illinois. Him and I kind of got hooked up, started filming together. And we went out and we shot like five good deer that year on camera. And just, it just worked out to where it happened to be the first year that I kind of slid my, my foot in the door a little bit. I had a good year. And uh, then everything just kind of snowballed from there. But it was, it's funny how, it's funny how you, you actually get that first start. You know, just to think of a kid, you know, 19, 20-year-old kid walking into ATA show with a VHS tape. I mean, can you see that today? Like somebody walking in with a VHS tape. Like, who is this clown? You know? And that's probably what they thought about me, too. But I don't know. And then, and then the, other funny, the other funny thing about my side, too, is how Nate and I got hooked up. So... 
a lot of people don't know that story either. You know, a lot of people think that we we've known each other forever, and it feels now it feels like that that we do. I mean, we're, we're truly like. I mean, he's like my blood brother. Yep. Um, I mean, he he is literally family. I mean, I love the guy like he's my brother. But um, we actually got hooked up at a trade show, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That was back whenever I was still with Don and Candy doing Whitetail Freaks, and we had a booth there. Hosey was doing, he was doing a lot of stuff with Hunter Specialties. He was running the camera a lot for Matt Moret and Eddie Salter and those guys. And so he was at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, too. That's a show that he always does. And, man, that was the first year that, that Hunter Specialties come out with that, that dang hen squealer turkey uh-huh. call. And I'm sitting there working the booth, you know, actually working. Hosey don't know anything about that. You know, he's just walking he's just <laughs> right. walking around the trade show floor, right. you know, doing PR work for the company. But he keeps walking by blowing this stupid call, man. Like every five minutes he's blowing this call and he's just looking over there at me. And I'm like, man, I'm either about to get in a fight with this guy or we're about to be best friends. I don't know which one's <laughs> going to come first, but something's got to give here, you know. So finally, either I walk over to him or he walks over to me and we get to talking and we just hit it right off, and it's funny that year, and it kind of, you know, it just shows how sometimes things are meant to be. Like, we did several shows that same year, and just for whatever reason, uh, just meant to be, we were both at the same shows. Uh-huh. And then we just got to be buddies, got to start hanging out, and uh, just hit it off, man. And, and that was that was at the time where I had the idea for Headhunters, but hadn't really went out there and, and went for it yet, and we just kind of got our heads together and man, everything else kind of just fell into place and here we are. So mm-hmm. kind of funny how things, how you meet people and, you know, it's just, I'm a firm believer that some things are just meant to be. Yep. Yep. So you started and still on the outdoor channel, you went right for the major leagues basically. Yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking here, but I guess there's a lot to talk about. That's a funny, that's another funny story in itself because a lot of people don't realize, you know, just like you'll tell them, the airtime situation and the out, how the outdoor industry works. But, you know, most television industries work completely opposite to where the, the actual network pays the producer for their show. Right. Where the outdoor industry is 180 degrees off of that. So we actually have to buy our airtime mm-hmm. from the network. And then in return, that's why we're going out and selling partnerships to manufacturers. Right. So that's how we recoup our money and that's how we build a budget and that's how we survive. So going into this... I didn't know how things worked, you know. I, I was just coming out of college. I I literally didn't have a pot to pee in. I mean, I didn't have nothing, man. So I go and uh, I I get I scrounge up enough money. And I I have a guy. He puts together a little pilot show for me, and I send that to uh, which back in the day was Jeff Wayne at the Outdoor Channel. I I sent that to Jeff Wayne, and I said, you know, here here's who I am. This is what I want to do. This is my dream, and. This is what I got to show you. I ain't got to show you much, but this is what I got, you know. And he uh luckily he it just works out to where he had a show drop off the network because it's even if you're even that you're paying for the airtime, it's still crazy hard to get a time slot. Right. And uh at the time that I submitted there wasn't any. But he ended up having a show drop off, so he called me. Long story short, he called me and said, Hey, I got this thing that that uh that just opened up this time slot if you want it. And I said, Man, like, what's that going to, what's, you know, what comes with that? What kind of price tag comes with that? He's like, well, if we do this, this, and this, you know, it's going to be, 
it's going to be like $200,000. And I was like, I, like my face just got white. My, right. like, he's like, are you still there? And I'm like, like yeah, I'm still here. And I said, well, what, what do you got to have up front, Jeff? And he's like, well, you know, normally we get 10%. So I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, well, $20,000. Yeah, I don't think I can do that, Jeff. And he's like, well, well, what can you do? And I said, you're going to have to give me like a day. So I go home and I go through every sock drawer I got, every piggy bank that I got, and and, and, and every bank account that I got, and I scrounge up five thousand dollars. That's all I got, man. Uh-huh. I'm not talking about that's every penny that I got. And I call him back and I said, Jeff, I come up with five thousand dollars. He said, I tell you what, we're going to do this deal. And he sent me the contract and I put my name on that contract. Did not have a clue of how I was going to pay for the rest of it right didn't have a clue didn't have a single partner signed up i didn't have nothing uh-huh. if i would if, if if that same opportunity presented itself today i would run as fast as i could the other <laughs> yeah, way right i ain't kidding you but i was i was young i was dumb and i wanted it bad uh-huh. i mean i wanted it bad and i ended up going for it and and here we set today you know been on the outdoor channel eight years you know now so um it all worked out man but it's funny it's funny that I don't know. It's it just it's it's crazy. It people say that's a Cinderella story. I don't know if it's Cinderella or not, but that's the way it happened. Well, it is amazing. I mean, you go right to the Outdoor Channel where I started. It was the Hunt Channel. Right. It was the first year Hunt Channel was in business. If right. you remember it, just a oh, little, yeah. little startup network that. Yeah, I started airing on Wednesday mornings at six thirty in the morning, and yep. that still cost me ten grand. Oh yeah, yeah. Just for that little bit, and I was like, man, and I did the same thing. Certainly not to the level that you were at, but. Well, shoot, you know, man. signed it and then had to go find partners. I'm on the hook for ten grand. Yep, now the work begins. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's funny though, man. It, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where people start. It doesn't matter where they're at. You know what channel they're on right now. I mean, the biggest thing is if if you're getting to go out there and do what you love and you can figure out how to make it work, whether you do it for a living or whether you do it as a hobby. Yeah. If you're doing it for the right reason, it don't matter. It don't matter where you're at or where you're airing at. Shoot, man, do what you love. You right. know, there there's too much. Uh, I see, I see it all the time, like on social media, and I think you know, I love, I love social media for certain things, and I hate it for others, you know, yeah. because it, I hate seeing the bickering back and forth, and you know, people poking their chest out about, oh, well, I shot, you know, I shot a deer that's bigger than that. I don't know why you would shoot this, or I don't know why your, you know, your show sucks, or your show's great, you know, it's right. like, who cares, man? Like we're all hunters at the end of the day, you know. Uh-huh. Pick what you like and and like it, and let the other stuff. Go off your back, man. People people get too into that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when people ask me, how do I get started in this industry? What I tell them is, if you want to get started, get you a cheap camcorder, whatever it is. Yeah. A tree arm, the basic. I give them a list of basic things. You know, keep right. it keep it low cost. Video your hunts. Download some open source editing software and put it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Learn how to edit on YouTube. That's right. And, uh, you know, start getting followers. Start working with, you know, don't just go out there and just try to get sponsors. Right. Work with, you know, use, go after the companies that you want to use that you believe in and trust. Yep. And, and build, and, and build a little bit of a name and a following for yourself. Right. You know, because at the end of the day, you're selling yourself mm-hmm. and you're selling, you're selling your product, of course, you know, as, as far as your production and, and all that, but you've got to be able to sell yourself and, and to build a little bit of credibility behind who you are. Because at the end of the day, there's these guys, you know, as far as from a manufacturer standpoint and a partner standpoint, you, you got to remember that these guys are getting hit up daily, daily. 
and it's multiple like, times. Now. It's like how you know it's nothing against you personally. You know, as a guy that wants to get in the industry, you can't take it personal. But you got to realize like those guys are getting hit up every day. So what can you do to number one set yourself apart and two sell yourself? You know, you you got it. So I tell everybody, it's like just like you said, it's like get a camera. You know, start filming as much as you can and just try to put together quality stuff and, and show people who you are as a person right? and, and why you love it and, and show that, make sure that enthusiasm is coming through because you got to, at the end of the day, you, you got to sell your product, but you also got to sell yourself because as we went back or going back to what we were talking about early, um, relationships in, in the hunting industry, man, is it's key. It's right. everything, you know, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to discourage anybody from chasing their dreams because at the end of the day, I was that same guy 15 years ago. Right. The exact same guy. Did not know anybody, did not have a single connection, didn't have a rich dad that was going to buy my way in. Uh-huh. It was it was scratch and claw and figure out how to make it work because if I didn't figure out how to make it work, especially after signing that outdoor channel contract, <laughs> I was going to, I was going to sit behind a desk and work the rest of my life to pay for it. Just so, to pay that off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's like you better, I'm not discouraging anybody, but I'll just tell you that you need to have some drive if you're going to, especially these days. Cause as you know, even, you know, even when you got into the industry, it's, it's way harder now than it was back then. Yeah. Oh, you it know? definitely was. Yeah. Number one, the industry's down a little bit. And two, it's, it's, it's way oversaturated with, with people doing the same thing that, that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so many outlets now. So you've got right. YouTube, you've got Roku, and there's Carbon TV, right. and there's so many outlets for people, and which is great. Yep. Which is great because it gives people a chance to exactly. you know dip their feet in. But yeah, when you're when you're all competing for the the same dollars, basically, right? Um, with partners, Makes it tough. right? It is tough. So yeah, you've got to find a way to separate yourself. That's right. I think one one of the one of my partners, when I first started talking to him, he said, don't come in here and tell me my show's different. Because, I mean, the reality is, it may have been 15 years ago when you started, you know, you exactly. come up with a different idea. But the reality is... Pretty much it's been done. It's at this been point. done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's really nothing you can do. We're all out yep. there hunting. We're killing animals. Yep. And we're doing our thing. But it's... Beyond that, there's there's got to exactly be add-on right. benefits, de- deliverables, like you said yeah. earlier. Yeah, those companies want to know that when they sign you on as a partner, you're going to go to work for them. Right. At the end of the day, it's not it's not just a free handout. Like no. here's here's a check for X amount of dollars. Uh-huh. Go have fun. Right. You know they they're going to hold your your feet to the fire. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? They they're going to expect to get something out of what they're what they're putting into you. Right. So and, yeah. which it should be, you know I mean? At the end of the day, it should be. I mean, that's just, that's the way life works. I mean, no, mm-hmm. nothing's free in life. That's you right. Got, that's you right. You got to work hard for it. So. Yeah. So I haven't been to the NWTF the last two years. That's a fun show that I'd love to go to, right. but I've been working other trade shows for my other partner. So that's part of the extras that I have to do. I work exactly trade shows for them and I'm selling trail cameras. Yep. yep. Tom Rainey's got that's you right. working. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love it, man. I love being out meeting people because oh, yeah. yeah, the more people you meet, the better it is for you. Well, and, and at the end of the day too, man, that's the same. That's the same people that's that's turning on the TV and watching our shows, right? You know, and and we owe it. I feel like we owe it to those people to get out and shake their hand and say, "Hey, man, thanks for thanks for supporting what we do." You uh-huh. know, because at the end of the day, if it wasn't for them, we couldn't do what we do. That's right. That's right. So, what's uh, coming up this season on the 
on the Headhunters TV. Man, uh, as we were talking about earlier, our elk season this year was probably stronger than we uh, than we've ever had before. So I'm looking forward. Those shows ought to turn out really good. And uh, we had we had a pretty good pretty good year overall. Um, nothing just crazy different. I don't guess. I mean, we we kind of we've kind of built that little bit of a template that our show kind of falls in, and um, we've not went outside of the box too far. It's like you gotta. It's it's kind of weird on that side on the production side too because it's like you don't want to if you got something that people kind of enjoy to watch and it works it's, it's like you don't want to go out there and left field too far and get right. too crazy with uh-huh. it you know because then you might turn off some people but we we have fun with it man it's just I, I I feel like every year we try to bring out our personality a little bit more mm-hmm. in the show and uh, you know you see if you watch our show you see me and Hosey just always just bickering back and forth and honestly like. That's everyday life for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> like we we fight just like two brothers, you know. I mean, uh, I, I can't tell you how many multiple times in a season that we just about come to blows, but I can tell you it's a lot. Uh-huh. But uh, but then, then he the serenades you to sleep. Every that's night. right. And then the next day we hug it out and <laughs> yeah. tell each other we love them, you know. Uh-huh. And it's all over. But no, we ha- we have fun, man. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't rather do it with anybody else out there. We yep. we have a lot of fun doing it, and hopefully that that comes across on the show. We we try to make sure it does. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Now you're also involved with uh, St. Jude. We are. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that's that's super you know near and dear to my heart that we've been doing for a long time, and we do that big event over in Popper Bluff every summer. Uh-huh. August, you were gracious yep. enough to come over last year and help us out with it. But and it, it's it's cool too because you know I think we've been doing it about eight years, and from the television personality side, it has grown every year. Like last year, I don't know how many different personalities we had from how many different television shows but yeah. it was a it was a lot man and that's that's super cool for me to see you know with both of us working in the industry just seeing our peers you know come uh-huh. and support something like that because man at the end of the day like shoot man you can you can shoot deer you can shoot turkeys and you can shoot whatever you want to do but that deal you know with saint jude and what they do for those kids there's not a lot in life that's much more important right and the, it just gosh, it, it hits me so hard. And it's something that, that I've taken so much pride in over the last seven or eight years trying to grow that thing. And, you know, when we had the idea of it, uh, my sister-in-law heads up a lot of it. And, you know, her, she wanted to do something. We didn't really know what we wanted to do. And I said, man, you know, why don't we do something outdoor related? So we, it started off as a, just as a 3D shoot. We, we got with a local club there and, and got with them and kind of partnered up. And I think the first year that we did it, which is about eight years ago. I think we raised like $10,000 for St. Jude, something uh-huh. like that. And it's grown every single year. And, I, and I'm pretty sure we grossed about 125000 oh, this nice. past year, which, you know, you were there on the Friday night. We, we started incorporating a banquet on Friday night before uh-huh. the Saturday shoot, which last year was a, a big hit. We got on the big. We got on the big <laughs> yeah. wheels. Everybody, everybody loved that. For, uh, for that anybody out there listening, we had a we had an industry big wheel race, and and you just had to be there to see how epic it was. But <laughs> I didn't do so hot. I I crashed and burned. But it was it was a lot of fun. We raised a lot of money, and man, it's a you know St. Jude. For anybody too that doesn't know about St. Jude, they're out of Memphis, Tennessee, and. And basically, if you're 18 years or younger, they will not turn down anybody that's that's battling cancer. You know that that needs the help, and it's that hospital's ran completely 100 percent on donations. Uh-huh. So you know everything that we do, as far as with our event, that helps fund that. You know, and I think I can't remember how many million dollars a day it costs to run that that hospital, but it's 
it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy the amount of money that it takes. So just doing events and everybody you know around the country doing events is what what keeps that up and running and you know and not having to turn those kids that need the help away. So I'm I'm definitely happy to be a part of it and uh, I want to see I can't wait to see where it goes because it it hopefully we can keep growing it every year. Yep. No, that's that is a good event. So it'll be in August. You got the date set already. I think it's the tenth and eleventh. Tenth and eleventh. Yep. It's always usually the second, the second weekend in August. Okay. But we'll uh, we'll keep y'all updated on that one. But yeah, you can get tickets. Come to the dinner. Um, silent auction stuff. Yeah, huge silent auction, live auction. Yeah. Um, and usually we'll do a, a band. You know, Hosey played last year. Uh, my buddy Drew Hoffman played. Um, not sure what all we're gonna have in store this year, but it'll hopefully it'll be bigger and better than it was. Uh huh. And then uh, the archery shoot. The archery the shoot on day. Saturday, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, anybody can dust off the dust off the bows and bring them out. Uh-huh. A little bit of something for everybody. Yep, and a lot of TV celebrities there again this year. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll have a hopefully we'll have a a good lineup. I'm sure yeah. we will. I'm trying to get Tiffany Lukoski to come. She, uh, I, I think I'm going to get her to, to come. I'm not for sure yet. Hadn't got her committed yet, but uh-huh. I've been working on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully everybody will make it. Um, well, we've been going at this for about an hour. Um, anything else you can think of, man? You want to talk about? Man, this is my you first. Gotta... This is my first one. To actually, <laughs> sat down in a podcast. I'm like, I'm like a fish out of water. I don't uh-huh. know what to do. But no, it's been awesome, man. I, no, you... I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, you feel like an, you, you seem like a natural at it. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, people be calling for you to replace me. As the <laughs> yeah, host. right. Right. Um, so, where can people follow you? Follow. Uh, we're on the show. Yeah, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Nate and I both have our personal pages, and then obviously the Headhunters TV page. But yeah, we're we're we try to be all over social media as much as we can, keep mm-hmm. everybody updated on what's going on. So yeah, anywhere there, and then on the Outdoor Channel, we're at, we're airing um, all four quarters now. So okay, good. We're on we're on all year. Um, third quarter, we'll start our new episodes. I think Thursday night at seven thirty is our is our anchor spot. So yep, got a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe. Good deal, man. So, yeah, hit them up on Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. You can search Randy Bird's song. You can search Headhunters TV. Search Nate Hosey. You'll That's find right. Them. Thanks for having me, man. All right, man. It's been I fun. Pre- yeah, I appreciate you coming. Absolutely. And uh, we'll definitely do this again Heck as we yes. get closer to the St. Jude event. Make sure we get that in there and try to blow that thing up. Sounds good, buddy. All right. All right, that'll wrap it up for today. Appreciate y'all listening. Uh, this was podcast number three, so still rolling. Podcast 4, hopefully coming soon. Catch y'all later. This is Derek Dernberger, and you're listening to the Knocked and Loaded Podcast. 